Thank you so much. Good morning. And a joyful new year as we are gathering together to worship our Lord and Savior in our first Sunday of 2021. I thought it would be wise and appropriate to be able to choose a passage of scripture that might launch us well into this new year before we get back in the coming days to the book of Acts. So in your Older Testament, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Ecclesiastes, to probably one of the more well-known sections in not only Christian, but secular society as well. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, down through verse 15. As you're turning there, my former professor, Dr. Walter Kaiser, has written an extraordinarily wonderful book on this commentary. And so if you haven't picked up that uh, volume and, and read it through, uh, Coping with Change, it's well worth your time. There's a story behind it I won't get into as to how... Uh, in some way, shape, or form, I, I became a pastor uh, as a result of uh, studying Ecclesiastes under him when my path was in a whole different direction than that. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and verse 1 down through verse 15, you're going to find these words. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that they, everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to men. I perceived that whatever God is, does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. So that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. These are extraordinary words. This is a complex passage. What we're going to try to do, by God's grace, is try to understand it, explain it, and apply it as we look to our Lord in prayer. And now, our Father, we're thanking you for being our God. You're the sovereign one. You stand outside of time, 
through Jesus Christ, you've broken into time. The great I am, Jesus, was able to, with complete authority, demonstrate to us how time and eternity converge. So, Father, what we want to do now is we're entering into a, a new year, and we're doing our review of 2020, and we're doing our preview of 2021. We're asking now that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wills, as again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was after the first service on Christmas Eve, and I had a few appointments along the way before I even got into uh, my office to catch a break, <clears throat> get a cup of coffee, black, no cream, no sugar, make it as black as your rocky oil, and we're good to go. And while I'm standing there, sipping the cup, uh, Benjamin and Jessica arrive in my office to say goodbye, and they would be heading off. This is what happens during the Christmas season. There's the comings, and there's the goings. And so we spent a little time there, and um, as we were saying goodbye, I, I said, oh, Ben, don't forget your tradition. I didn't have to say much more, because immediately he walked over to the hourglass that sits on my desk and flipped it over. He's been doing that since, well, it feels like since time began. A tradition. And I watched that how the sands of time began to descend from the upper chamber down into the lower chamber. We said goodbye, and well, after the second service, I went back in, as often happens with that hourglass, Sand got stuck between the upper chamber and the lower chamber. And I smiled as I looked at the, this and pondered the significance of how often we want time to stand still. There seems to be a longing within our hearts to bring what's eternal into what's temporal and to make the temporal eternal. We want sometimes the sand in the hourglass to get stuck, don't we? This is why oftentimes I've found that when two people are in love, you will find that somebody might, without necessarily putting it this way, say, when we're together, it seems as though time goes so fast. But when we're apart, it seems as though time go so last so long there's something about time and there's a great challenge where we want to make the temporal eternal and we are always grappling with well, how do i make how do i make sense of all this this matter of time as it relates to eternity but then you're pondering with me what we covered on that christmas eve night aren't you where we are told that this one who is the great I am, the one who is before all time, is described this way. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What I want to do is to be able to think with you both philosophically, theologically, and yet very practically, personally, relationally. How do we pull together this whole matter of the relationship of, of time and eternity? And that's why we're making our way into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 down through verse 15 on this first Sunday of this, of this new year. And what I want to do is to draw out for you three considerations that are found here in these verses. And the first one comes out of verse 1 down through verse 8. As you and I, as we consider God's sovereign plan in this world, I want to begin with you by noting the pattern of opposites established by God. And because what you and I are going to find is that there are 14 pairs of opposites in this incredible uh, poetry that has been put to music in various decades throughout the course of our years. The pattern of opposites established by God. I want you to see how, how, this, how this even begins. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Now begin with me by thinking about the fact that there is, that there is a season. Everything, for everything, there is a season. I think back to Dr. Paul Tournier's writings, and there's a particular volume called The Seasons of Life, when he describes, after he had put together his manuscript, one of the secretaries said to Dr. Tournier, Dr. Tournier, you know that man, unlike nature, can have springtimes in autumn. He pondered that as his opening story unfolds as follows. Yes, there can be springtimes in autumn. This is what distinguishes humankind. I thought immediately of an old professor who discovered faith at over 80 years of age and who kept repeating, but I'm a little child. It's as if my life has just begun, as if time had just begun. Now, what God delights to do is not only work with creation, but he also works with new creation people. It's as if time has just begun when you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. No matter what the season of your life, uh, it's as if springtime has all of a sudden found its way into the fall of your personal experience. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Yes, there is time. And now what he is about to do is to unpack for us 14 opposites. And we're going to sometimes pick it up, sometimes we're going to slow it down, reflect on the opposites, and keep inching forward to see where all of this heads. Because as you and I begin to think this through, We've got to understand that for everything, not something, there is a season 
and a time for every matter under heaven. And I want you now to mark with me that there is the everything and there is the every, and the two need to be connected together in that opening verse. Sometimes, sometimes we just don't understand the timing of God until a little later. Two men from their church have been selected to go on a mission trip to Kenya. Their bags were packed and they headed to the airport and their flight was canceled. You ever have that happen to you? They had a six hour wait until the next one. And so they waited. The guys, one, six foot five, the other six foot four, they knew how to handle themselves. And for some reason, they were seated in first class, although they hadn't paid the higher fares for the seats. And during the long flight, they heard a struggle in the cockpit, discovered that there was this crazed man struggling with the pilots, and the plane began to nosedive. Well, the two men rushed forward and easily had the guy under control. They looked at each other and agreed. God's delays are not always God's denials. I would add, when God delays, it's part of God's design. In other words, what we're saying here is that for everything there is a season, including the cancellation of the flight, and a time for every matter under heaven. That means then that you might be right now in your Moses experience of 40 years in your own wilderness. And you're wondering, where are you, God? And I thought you had a plan for me, God, and I had it all mapped out, God, but here I am, and I am tending sheep in the middle of nowhere. God has a way of breaking into the middle of nowhere. And there in the middle of nowhere, in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses at the burning bush is wondering in this encounter with the sovereign God, who should I say is sending me back? God answers, tell them, I am sent you. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I will be. He said I am He is always the I am and understands your future better than you understand your past. And so Moses then would find that this was not wasted time. This was invested time because he would eventually be leading God's flock out into that very same wilderness. He would have learned that wilderness in advance so that then he'd be well prepared to guide people through what he had previously experienced privately and individually. God does that, you know. Don't waste your time. Invest your time. Now, begin to pull together the 14 opposites. Let them stand out. Let them sink in. Pause occasionally. For you see, there is a time to be born and a time to die. Notice that twice in that opening phrase, there is the word time. Notice that there is a little T-O that's attached to each point. 
It's as if at this moment you are seeing that what God is doing is saying that there is, there is intentionality, that there is an appointment that he has for your life. There is an appointment he has for my life. There is a time to be born. There is a time to die. Sometimes on a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, it seems appropriate to, to go to a passage of Scripture that pulls that out. For you see, in Psalm 139, in verse 16, it's as if God is speaking to the one in embryonic form. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Thus, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand I awake, and I am still with you as the sand in the hourglass sometimes flows and sometimes gets stuck right there in the middle. And you're thinking, and you're pondering. And why is it that it seems as though the entrance doors and the exit doors of life are sometimes very far apart from one another and at other times very close together to one another? And so you enter into that store that you might do your grocery shopping at and you're sometimes struck by the fact that the exit is right next to the entrance. And so it is for some people that they, will, that they will enter into this world only to pass away within the womb of the mother. And the entry door and the exit door are so close together, you have to take a step back and remind yourself that there is a designer behind the design. And the designer has determined just where the entry door and the exit doors are to be placed, sometimes very close together, sometimes very far apart, but whether they're close together or far apart, there is both an entry door and an exit door, and they have been designed. And there's a designer who stands behind his design. We need to be able to understand the purposes, the reasons, and the rhythms of life, the appointments at the beginning and the appointments at the end. There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. Those that were raised in the farming community understand something of that. There's the springtime of planting. There's the fall of harvest. There are the natural rhythms of life. And so poetically, he goes on to describe this and offers you this kind of imagery, a time to kill and a time to heal. It, notice that it does not read a time to murder and a time to heal, does it? No. It carries with it a different word than the Hebrew word for murder, a time to kill. And if you go elsewhere in your scriptures, you will see then that this was used as a word for capital punishment. Where if you go back to Genesis 9 and tie it back to God creating man in the image of God, you will see then that what God is doing at this point is that he wants to be able to protect the image of God against the murderer. A time to kill doesn't say a time to murder. A time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Uh, look at verse 4 very carefully. Go back to a story that some of you know. 
some it's fresh. And so I'm, I'm traveling down I-43. You could probably tell the rest of the story, some of you. And it's 2018, and I'm reflecting upon the fact that I had officiated at my father's uh, funeral just a little bit earlier that year, and now my mother is about to pass away. And I had been right at her bedside, but you see, Ben and Jessica are about to get married. And so, making the way, we are southward on I-43, around the Racine area, when all of a sudden I get a text from my brother-in-law, Craig, wonderful man, and said, Gary, I'm sorry, but your mother has passed away. Now, what do you do? There is a wedding where there will be laughter, and there is going to be a wedding where there will be dance. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, but what do you do when it seems as though the entry door and the exit door are such that it seems so inconvenient for this particular moment to take place? Couldn't you delay God? But then again, the delays are part of the design, but also furthermore, when it happens rather suddenly, and it seems as though time is not for you to own, but for God to own, God might choose what seems to be a disappointment to say, but this is my appointment. So I sit down at the table at the reception. Do I, do I not tell Ben and Jessica, just married moments ago, John officiated, that um, just as their grandfather had died weeks earlier, now your grandmother has died and your aunt Carol Ann has died just prior to all that. And once again, dad's got to officiate. My buddy Tom Taylor, who's sitting at the table next to me, my son-in-law David sitting at the other side of me, um, Tom is watching and he's observing. He's been with me. He's known me he, since the days in New England. Um, I get up to walk out to reflect. He gets up to walk out to see how I reflect. And so my reflection and his direction kind of converge out there. People are laughing. People are dancing. But how do you pull together the weeping and the laughing and the mourning and the dancing when it comes so close together to one another? Such is life, you see. And this is where the time and the eternal converge. And you've got to think things through. And you've got to be wise. You walk back in, and lo and behold, somebody sticks a mic in your hand and wants you to greet everybody and open everything in prayer. So you smile. You want them to have joy. And you look out over the crowd, and you thank them for coming. You want them to experience the joy of the moment. You lead them in prayer. And then you go back out the door where you can have your private time, you see. This is the stuff of life. The stuff of life. And many of you have experienced it. So how do you explain all of this? When you're dealing with time, you've got to be able to distinguish between what is timeless, what is timely, and what is time-bound. I try to remove what is time-bound from my life, and I try to converge the timeless with the timely because I want to make certain that I grasp what C.S. Lewis once said, what is not eternal 
is out of date. And then you work with it. You bring the timelessness of Jesus Christ into the timeliness of the decisions you make on a daily basis, and you march on. Because you understand the rhythms of life and the appointments of life and how all of this works itself out, such as with Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem to die on Calvary and three days later um, be raised from the grave. There is a time to cast away stones, and you look at that and you ponder the significance of what is stated by that passage of Scripture, and your mind goes back to that tremendous psalm of Psalm 118, where we are told the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A time to cast away the stones? But you ponder it as you spend a little time in Italy, and there you stand before the monumental work of Michelangelo, the David, bigger than us. I remember standing there and recalling the story surrounding it. A piece of marble had been out on the streets of Florence. One artisan after another walked by. Nothing can be done with that. That's meant to be discarded. But Michelangelo saw something that others could not see. He had insight. He had foresight. They were merely dealing with eyesight. And so he took that and began to work with it. And today, people from around the world converge on Florence to be able to spend time pondering the story that's found in First and Second Samuel as they look at this, this magnificent, the David, right there for one and all to ponder. And yet the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone because what God has done is that while others are involved in rejecting, God is involved in designing, and he takes something that others might overlook or discard and creates something beautiful out of that rather challenging experience of your life. Time to cast away stones. Time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Put that one into 2020 and COVID. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. Fascinating. These are medical terms. The tearing has to do with the tearing of a limb and the sowing has to do with the medical procedure involved in repairing the limb time to keep silence and a time to speak. And I think of Nazism and the time in which Bonhoeffer and a, a Niemöller had to determine when to remain silent and when to speak up. And you tie that together, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And you stay with that moment in history. This is from a printed statement that Neville Chamberlain Offered as he waved, as he stepped off the plane, September 30th, 1938, after the Munich Conference. You know he was the Prime Minister of Great Britain. We, the German Führer, that's Hitler, and Chancellor, and the British Prime Minister, that was Chamberlain. We have had a further meeting today and are agreed in recognizing that the, the question of Anglo-German relations is of the first importance for our two countries and for all of Europe. 
We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two people never to go to war with one another again. We resolve that the method of consultation shall be the method adopted to deal with any other questions that may be concerning our two countries. And we are determined to continue our efforts to remove all possible sources of difference and thus contribute to assure peace, the peace of Europe, only to find that Germany had other plans. But he would then, in front of 10 Downing Street, make and offer these memorable words, my good friends. For the second time in our history, a prime minister, a British prime minister, has returned from Germany, bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep, only to find that an invasion would shortly be at hand. And the writer of Ecclesiastes takes all of these things into account. It allows for you and allows for me to be able to understand that this is significant. These 14 opposites that have been placed together, positioned together, paired together, so that we might be able to see the nature of life, the beginnings and the endings of life, but there is no beginning and ending to eternity. So how do you pull all of this together? You've got to figure out a way to be able to bring perspective to the experiences that God gives you day in and day out. When Raphael the painter died at the age of 37, they carried his painting, The Transfiguration, only half finished in the funeral procession as a reminder of the incompleteness of life, the brevity of time. But in John chapter 19, verse 30, as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. As the eternal one broke into time and fulfilled his mission. As we consider God's sovereign plan in this world, you note, first of all, with me, the pattern of opposites established by God. But second of all, I want you to see here the quest for understanding that's given by God. And it's found beginning in verse 9 down through verse 11. And it begins with a question. What gain has the worker from his toil? You clock in, you clock out. Maybe you've worked long hours, intensive hours. Maybe you spent a lot of time driving to and from work. And you reach a point occasionally when you're saying to yourself, what's this all about? Why am I doing what I am doing? Is there any purpose to all of this? And how do I maintain a sense of perspective, proper perspective on time as it relates to eternity? Kent Hughes helps. He writes, some years ago, a young man approached the foreman of a logging crew and asked for a job. That depends, said the foreman. Let's see you fill this, this tree. The young man stepped forward and skillfully filled the tree. Impressed, the foreman exclaimed, start Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday rode by. Thursday afternoon, the foreman approached the young man and said, you can pick up your paycheck on the way out. Startled, the young man said, I thought you paid me on Friday. He said, normally we do, 
but we're letting you go today because you've fallen behind. Our daily charts tell us that you've dropped from first place on Monday to last on Wednesday in your ability to fell the trees. But I'm a hard worker, he said. I arrive first, I leave last, and even have worked through my coffee breaks. The foreman, Ken Hughes writes, sensing the boy's integrity, thought for a moment and then asked, have you been sharpening your axe? The young man replied, I've been working too hard to take the time. Our culture needs cutting-edge Christians. Cutting-edge Christians who can cut through the confusion of the 2020s of life to be able to bring perspective of the eternal into the temporal allowing for God's word to speak in very unique, distinctive, powerful ways so that we are able then to be able to minister in ways that others simply cannot comprehend. You know, it's said in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, the men of Issachar were men who had understanding of the times to do what Israel ought to do. Create the Issachar files for people to read, reflect upon, as you relate truth to times, Christ to culture, making sense of what life is all about. And then when you do that, you're able then to begin to embrace what starts to unfold next in this, in this section. Because once the question was posed, what gain has the worker from his toil? And maybe many people around you are asking that very same question. What's the meaning of all this? Man, I'm tired. You look at them and you say, check out Ecclesiastes 3, 10 and 11. Because here now Solomon admits, I have seen the business that God has given, and not what we have produced. The business that God has given, this is common grace. To the children of man, interesting phrase, not the children of God, the children of man to be busy with. And we've got a busy culture. But activity and productivity are not necessarily one and the same things let alone activity and purpose. So now, out of all this, what do we begin to put together? It is this. He, God, has made everything, not something, everything beautiful in its time. If you need a life verse, you can't do... You just have to consider this one. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He has made everything, not some things, even the things that look bad can be good, beautiful. But when? The question is, answer. In its time. 
I've been reading excerpts from from Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time. Physicist, brilliant, had Lou Gehrig's disease, passed away in 2018. Atheist, I read those that I disagree with to try to understand their worldviews and figure out how to communicate with people who share similar worldviews. He, he wrote, my goal is simple in his volume, Brief History of Time. It is a complete understanding of the universe, why it is as it is and why it exists at all. But you see, he's doing what the writer of Ecclesiastes said, that people are living and viewing and thinking under the sun. He confused scientism and science. He had a philosophical view of science. And so he was seeking a uniformity of knowledge pertaining to science under the sun without considering the one who stands and reigns above the sun. And such is life. He, sovereign one, has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I oftentimes find people who are impatient with one another in the home, struggling with anger at work, and prone to strike out at the most inopportune moments that what they're really dealing with is that they're venting their frustrations with time as it relates to eternity because they want time to be eternity and they just can't find the time to get done what they want to get done and so here they have it and they're stressed out and life is confused and they vent and they vent against all the wrong people, the people that truly love them. Life's a puzzle for the person who lives under the sun. Do you like puzzles? On occasion, when when various family members have converged from out of state, come together, whether it be one Jessica or another Jessica or whoever among them all, um, all of a sudden, what appears in their hands, and I grimace, is a thousand-piece puzzle. Uh, Typically on Friday night, and. As far as I'm concerned, that's mental madness waiting to happen, you know? Mental madness. So, for those you bump into who are puzzled about life, here are some pastoral perspectives on puzzles, three Ps for you. Every piece counts. Force-fitting is futile. It helps to keep the big picture in front of you, you know. No one piece alone creates the big picture. Some pieces that don't look like they go together, (laughs) go together. Some pieces that look like they don't go together, go together. But some pieces that look like they go together don't. It helps to know the parameters and the perimeters, you see. So start with the edges without getting edgy when you're doing this mental madness. Look at the puzzle from different vantage points. Provides a clearer perspective on the big picture. 
make progress, one piece at a time. You're going to be tempted to quit. Don't. For you see, putting together little puzzles within the big puzzle helps to complete the big picture all in due time. This is what Moses needed to understand in the wilderness. Forty years wasted, or is it 40 years invested? And along comes Jesus. And there you find at this incredible wedding, his mother's got a plan. She wants him to turn water into wine. Do something. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Later, he would be standing among those who would be opposed to him and say to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Fascinating. In other words, what he's saying is, for the unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. For the believer, this is as bad as it's going to be. You go up to the feast, he said in John 7, 8, I am not going up to this feast. My time has not yet come. In John 7.30, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But then, but then in that extraordinary moment where in that upper room he was praying for his followers, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, Father, the hour has come Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And even when you're faced with a puzzle, and you have now put together 999 pieces, and you found out that one is missing, remember, you're looking at life under the sun. And there is uniformity, unlike what Stephen Hawking had assumed. Ponder the pattern of opposites established by God. Ponder the quest for understanding given by God. And then thirdly, ponder the purpose for living revealed by God. And now you pull it all together, don't you? You got it. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you continue on, and what I want you to see is that there is the word perceived in verse 12 and the word perceived in verse 14. In verse 12, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do as good as long as they live. Be joyful even at that wedding reception. Just step out of the room when you need to, but let them enjoy their joy. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In other words, God has gifted you with the ability to enjoy. So enjoy 2021. And I hope you enjoyed 2020. Meanwhile, you take your second perception found in verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever and nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it. You see, this is God's doing. This is God's grace. 
So the people fear, not merely fear him, but I have noted the Hebrew very carefully, fear before him. In other words, this has to do with putting faith and trust in him, who he is and what he has done. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been because God stands outside of time and God sees the future better than you can see the present, let alone understand the past. God seeks what has been driven away and now you tie all of this together and now you have begun to understand with me the pattern of opposites, the quest for understanding, and furthermore, the purpose for living revealed by God to us, taking into account Jesus again and again, finding those moments in his appointment schedule to say, not my time, not my time, and then at that most strategic moment, the hour has come. And this is my moment. As you're standing there in my office and you're looking at that hourglass, Sometimes the sand descends from the upper chamber to the lower chamber. And sometimes it gets stuck in the middle. And you're saying to yourself, aha, there now is perspectives that we can gain on the whole matter of time and eternity. But meanwhile, but meanwhile, you've made your way to Galatians 4, where the Apostle Paul had written, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth, you know it, his son. Let's stand together. So now, Father, we've got to bring people who are so caught up with the times to bring them to the one who is timeless. The one who on that cross died in time. Three days later raised from the grave to demonstrate that he is not the great I was, but the great I am. And as people today might find themselves in some kind of wilderness, and they need a burning bush. They need God to break in and say, I am. May we introduce them to the great I am. And in a timely way, introduce them to the timeless Savior, Jesus. And for this, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.